Good to see you. Welcome. So we're going to continue in the boat with Jesus. We're doing a series of exploring and uh, looking at all the stuff that Jesus did in boats and with his disciples. Jesus spent a lot of time, as we've been learning, in a boat. Um, he taught crowds from a boat. He performed miracles from a boat. Um, and that was the equivalent to the workplace, because with the fishermen, and so the, that great miraculous catch that they had, they traveled from one place to another place in a boat, and would somebody just travel my drink, uh, my water to me? That would be great. Thank you very much, Chloe. Um, now, the only people who got into the boat were Jesus. Very interesting. The only people who got in the boat on a journey with Jesus were the disciples. And so the boat represents disciples of Jesus on a mission, on a journey, learning from him, learning from the miracles, seeing what he's doing, and it's an invitation for every one of us to get in the boat. We hear a lot of sermons, don't we, about stepping out of the boat. When Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water, there's a lot of sermons about stepping out of the boat. Well, this sermon is about stepping into the boat to become a true disciple of Jesus on an adventure, on a mission, not static, everything's changing, seeing miracles, learning from Jesus, and making a difference in people's lives, and being taught by him on the way. So the boat speaks of mission, it speaks of kingdom teaching of Jesus, it speaks of living a miraculous life. So what can we learn as followers of Jesus about today's boat story? Well, Today's boat story is a little bit different because it's actually not about being in a boat. It's about getting into a boat and out of a boat. So it's an in and out story. And it's sandwiched between a trip that Jesus and his disciples took across Lake Galilee from Capernaum to a place called Jerenines. Uh, and uh, on that journey, there was a, a real strong, powerful, surprising storm that was so powerful it was going to kill them, and Jesus rebuked the storm and stilled it and calmed it. Now, I'm not going to talk about that because Adam's going to speak about that next week, but I want to talk about why he got in the boat and why he went to the other side and what happened when he got out. So let's read a few verses of Scripture. It says this, One day Jesus says to his disciples, Let's go to the other side. So they got into a boat and set out. And then there's another verse, after they reach their destination, they sail, they, sail, they sail to the region of the Geronines, which is across the lake from Galilee. Now, this journey and what happened on the other side of the lake is recorded in three out of the four Gospels of Jesus' life. So this talks about, this is a really important message. It's not just mentioned in one of the Gospels. The writers are mentioning three out of the four. So there's something that we really want to take on board here. The other interesting thing, in each of the three Gospels, the word, where they landed, it's, it's not the same. It's, the place name is not mentioned exactly the same. And uh, this authenticates the message. Let me explain why. Um, it's a bit like an, a sat-nav. You've got three choices if you're going, going somewhere on a sat-nav. You can say, take me to Cardiff. So it'll take you to Cardiff generally. Or you can punch in, 
take me to the postcode, and it'll take you to the postcode, a general area in Cardiff. Or you could say, take me to 51 Moy Road, which is a specific place in Cardiff. And each of, the, each of the writers actually put it like this. There's a, the Jareens is a general area. Then there's another name, which is a specific area. And then there's another name, which is a more generally but smaller area. And this authenticates the message. Because, let me say this. If you went to the police and they interviewed you because they thought you'd uh, done a crime and there, was, and there was a gang of you and you wanted to cover up, apparently... One of the things you really don't want to do is tell exactly the same details because it means that you have colluded together your story. But if one says, well, yeah, we were in Cardiff, or somebody says, yeah, well, I, was, I was near Roth Park, which is in Cardiff, or, yeah, we're just standing outside 51 Moy Road, you know that there is, there is a, it's, there's something authentic about it because we all speak it and communicate it and report it slightly different, but it's all accurate within our understanding. Am I communicating? So this is how this story is unpacked. So we know that this is an authentic story. It's got historical details, and it's from eyewitness accounts, and it really happened. So why did Jesus say to the disciples, let's get into the boat in the first place? What was the purpose of crossing this place uh, from Galilee into this territory. Well, the territory of the Jerines is a Gentile territory. A Gentile territory is those who are not part of the Jewish community. And therefore, they're going to people who don't think like them, believe like them, have a worldview like them, don't believe in God like them. And so this speaks of Jesus' passion and mission that his ministry and his life and his gift of forgiveness and transformed life and the opportunity to know God and be a disciple and join the venture is not just for the Jewish community, it's to the whole world. And so it's firstly, he is communicating in action form. And a lot of Jesus' teachings are not just words, but the way he lived and the miracles he performed and the, and the places he took them. He's teaching them with every detail of his life, not just like a, a textbook, he's teaching them that actually God is the God of the whole world and he loves everybody, not just you. And he wants us to go and reach out with this message, this transformational, powerful message of Jesus that we may know God, find God, have our lives changed and join and get in the boat with him. So that's the first thing. And this was alien to the disciples. It was, they considered other nations and other peoples to be spiritually unclean and they wouldn't touch them with a barge pole. And Jesus is saying, no, I love them and I love you and I want you to go and reach out to them with my transforming power, love and life. Jesus was pointing to a time when his followers would go to the other side not just of the lake, but the other side of the world, the other side of the road, the other side of the street, that it wasn't just to be happy and satisfied that I know Jesus, my sins are forgiven. I know where I'm going when I, when I die. God is my Lord and friend and transformer, but it's about the others now. And it's about giving away what we have received. As Jesus says, freely, freely you've received. Now freely, freely go and give it away. It's about reaching out to others. And the last thing he said to his disciples 
before he went back to his Father in heaven, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. I've made you my disciples, and you've experienced my life-changing power and love. Now go and do for everybody what I've done for you. And this was, this was a, a first pointer in that direction, to begin to change their minds, to look outward, look inward. It's not about me, but it's about the other. And we are still called to do that. That message still resonates true for every one of us, so that we tell our friends, our family, our social world, our friendship groups. We go even beyond our geography, even to people who are not like us, don't think like us, we go that they may encounter this incredible person, this God who has made man, Jesus, and have our lives transformed. And it was an alien thought to the disciples. It wasn't instinctive to them. It certainly wasn't a comfortable thought. It wasn't easy. And sometimes it was really scary, as we'll see in this text. I'm sure they had a real eye-opener when this happened. We'll get to it in a moment. But Jesus was intent and intentional about going to the other side. And the disciples got into the boat as an act of obedience and trust. And they went to the other side. And when they got to the other side, they stepped out onto the shore of this new world, Gentile territory. And this is what happened. Let's have a look at it. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, wait, uh, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't talk to me. Do you notice this? The demons know who we were. They recognized who Jesus was. They were proclaiming he was the son of the most high God, sent from heaven as a man, God on earth. Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of him. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into a solitary place. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not, uh, uh, not to send them into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let him go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When Jesus came out of them, when, when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed over the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Uh, the other records talk about them being over 2,000 pigs. I mean, that is a lot of pigs. And can you imagine the noise? And can you imagine what it did to those pig farmers and the economy? I mean, you're talking a lot of pigs. When those standing, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had been gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. 
Then all of the people of the region of Jeronimes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for them. And this story is contrasting what Sarah spoke about last week when two men came up and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And that he knew that they weren't sincere. They really, they were, he was saying, oh, yeah, I want to follow you. But they weren't prepared to pay the price. And it's contrasting to this man who had a miraculous deliverance and life-changing experience and was begging him, let me go with you. And we see that when you can counter the miraculous, sometimes there can be uh, two reactions. Some people think, this is amazing. I want to follow Jesus. Uh, some people might think, well, it can be three reactions. Some people might go, oh, that's great. And they enjoy their healing or whatever's happened to them and their life has been transformed and they carry on. And some people, like this man, say, I want to follow you. And I've seen this many times. I've, I've prayed for the sick and sometimes I've seen people, they've been healed. And they want to give their lives to Jesus and say, this is, this is amazing. I never knew it was true. And other people go, oh, thank you very much. And, you, and they just carry on as if they just had a box of antibiotics from the doctors. And other people, they realize that God is real. Like my friend who got healed, <laughs> his wife got healed of a long-term illness. And uh, he walked in and said, what's happened to you, love? You look radiant. And she was in bed for weeks and weeks and weeks and couldn't get out of bed. She was in constant pain. She said, what happened to you, love? And uh, he, <laughs> when she said, I've been healed. And, and, and he said, oh, no, there is a God. <laughs> we get all sorts of reactions. And we see these reactions here with these people. So he got off the boat and Jesus was met with a demon-possessed man. When Jesus stopped, stepped ashore, he, met, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Many times it seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into a solitary place. This man was in a very, very, very dark and tormented place. And we see firstly from it, is that Jesus saw the spiritual dimension and its reality very clearly. Jesus saw not just what happens in the physical world, but he could see the spiritual forces at work in the spirit realm. The Bible teaches that there is a physical realm. We eat, we drink, we go to work, we sleep. We touch, we feel, but there is an unseen spiritual realm at work as well. And the scriptures teach that we have the Spirit of God, who is the creator of everything, and he's good and loving and holy and pure and cares for us deeply and wants our very best. And he also has us created angels, and the angels are servants of God, and he's made the angels to come and serve and help and bless and protect us. We can't see them. They're probably angels in this room now. 
We can't see them. There are things that happen and protection and all type of things that take place that you probably don't even realize, but God has got his angels. And uh, so the Spirit of God is blessing you, but he has created his angels as well because God being a loving God, he loves to share. He's not a lone ranger. He's the nature of love is that you want to share and you want to do it with others. So first he created angels and he's also created human beings because he wants to share his work. And that's what he does. And the scriptures also teach that some of these angels that were created by God were rebellious and they had an ambition to actually have the worship of God and have the throne of God. So they didn't like serving the purposes of God. They wanted to be in charge. They want to be masters of their own boat, look like human beings, look like, like us. You know, the thought of actually sometimes the thought of allowing God to lead us and guide us in our life and go his way and trust that his way is a good way and a better way than the way that I would think or imagine. It's a challenging thing for um, independent thinking human beings. And it's a matter of submitting our lives or giving our lives over to the wisdom and the ways and the pathways of God. It's a challenge for human beings. And these angels, even though they were perfect and holy, they, something entered a group of angels that caused them to want the throne of God. So they rebelled. And you think, well, how can perfect, holy angels rebel against God? Well, every, every moral being, everything that God has created that has a, a morality to it has a free will. We all have free will. So God made us a moral being. I know I'm a moral being because if I do something or say something that I think is wrong, my conscience testifies. My conscience says, uh-uh, red lights. You shouldn't have really done that. That wasn't a wise thing to say. That wasn't a kind thing to say. That wasn't a loving thing to do. And sometimes I have to say sorry and apologize and put it right. We've all experienced that, haven't we? And, and we have that choice. And why does that happen? Because we're a moral being. And you can't be a moral being without a free will. And so God doesn't straightjacket us and take our free will away. Because if he took our free will away, we wouldn't be a moral being. So he created angels, and even though they're holy, they still could choose to rebel and do the wrong thing. And it says that a third of the angels did. And they were enticed by the, a chief angel called Lucifer, which we would call Satan, and some people call the devil. And they rebelled. And in their rebelling, they lost their heavenly estate, and they became disembodied. They lost their angelic bodies, but they still remained in spirit form. But now, because of their rebellion, they were totally corrupt evil. They were corrupt, evil, and destructive. And their heart's intent was to destroy everything good and that God has created and do as much damage and harm to, the, to what God had created that they could, and that includes human beings. So there's a warfare going on. Now, we don't see that spirituality because it's in the unseen world. The Bible says there's an unseen world. There's a warfare. But many of the affairs that take place in the world, that are atrocities, and destructive are because of powerful forces at work, influencing human beings. We think of some of the terrible wars that have taken place. What sense would it make that nations would go to war and cause such carnage? There's powerful forces at work. But not only on the big scale, but we see from this story, and Jesus saw it very, very clearly, that there can be powerful forces at work 
from time to time in individuals' lives. These forces are supernatural, they have power, they're sinful, they're wicked, and they're now morally corrupt. And when Jesus was alive, we see these forces on the ground, so to speak, in people's lives popping up all over, is popping up all over the place. I mean, you look through the scriptures, the gospel, you see Jesus teaching, Jesus performing miracles, and Jesus casting demons out. And so where are all these demons coming from? There's loads of them. Let me tell you why. They pop all over the place. It's because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of heaven. It says in John chapter 1, the word became flesh. In the beginning, there was the word. That represents Jesus. And the word was God. And the word was with God. So you've got the Father. You've got the word. And then you've got the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And it says the word, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh, became a man, and dwelt amongst us. And it says this, and lo, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, and, and he says, we saw his light. In him we see light. He is the light of the world. And the darkness cannot overcome it. So when Jesus, the full, radiant, glorious, powerful light of God, is walking along, human beings can't recognize who he is because we're just not that clever. Do you know what I mean? We're flesh and blood. We're looking with human eyes and all I can see is skin and bone. But the demons... We're crying out all over the place, falling in the streets. I know who you are, Son of God. Do not torment us before our time. And then and he walk, he's walking down the road. And a demon-possessed man would come and fall at his feet because they could see who he was because they could see in the spiritual realm. They just don't see flesh and blood. They see the spiritual realities of what's happening. And they were freaked out big time. Because let me tell you something about demons. Uh, that we learn from the scriptures, they like to work in secret. They don't like to, uh, they're like secret spies. They work in the darkness. They're like undercover agents. They don't want to be exposed for what we're doing. Because if they was, they're exposed for what we're doing, we'd all run a mile. We're not going near that. <laughs> but when Jesus walked along, they couldn't cope with the light. And it exposed them. And they were petrified. Which is great, because we have nothing to fear, because we have Jesus. And they were exposed for what they were doing. There's supernatural forces at work, and they're very destructive. So Jesus says, the thief has come to kill and destroy. He's speaking of the demonic powers. Human beings were made to be filled and influenced, not by dark or evil spirits, but by the Holy Spirit. And, in, and guided by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, loved by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a free and better way. Now, don't get frightened. Uh, yes, people can be influenced, as the, the Greek word calls it, demonized by these forces. But they just don't jump on the back of people or pop into people. <laughs> you know, like, oh, there's, there's a certain things that we have to do for that to happen. Like ongoing repeated sin, rebellious repeated sin, serious repeated sin. 
It's not if you sin or you mess up or you make a mistake or you do something wrong, you can become demonized. No, that's not going to happen. It's ongoing, repeated. This is, this is dark, repeated, rebellious stuff. Remember, they're rebellious spirits, things that are rebellious and repeated and deliberate and intent. When, people, when you set a course on evil, if you set a course on evil, you may become demonized, influenced by an evil spirit, if that's your course. Most people don't live like that. Occult practices. Occult practices are counterfeit spiritual miracles. Prophecy is a gift of God where, the, where you can prophesy by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can heal by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can commune with God the Father, but there are occult practices, Ouija boards, tarot cards, fortune-telling, witchcraft, mediums, Reiki healing, spiritual forces, powerful things, but they're, they're not inspired by God. They're the counterfeit, and it is the demonic that are both empowering these practices. And if we are giving ourselves to them, and submitting to them, and drawing from them, thinking they're going to, oh, I'm going to speak to my grandmother. I'm going to speak to, I'm going to, my dad's just died. I'm going to go to a medium, see how he's doing. What am I doing? I'm drawing on a spiritual dark force to comfort me and to help me, but it's a counterfeit to lure us into being influenced negatively and destructively. So these are, these are the things that um, can expose us. My iPad has just decided to, hang on, bear with me. Better put my code in. There you go. It's gone 15 minutes. Let me tell you something else. Unforgiveness. Resentful emotions that we hold on to intentionally and deliberately. Do you know that sometimes we have an emotion. Somebody may say or do something, but, mm, that hurt. but then we, we, we hold on to it in a vengeful way. We get an attitude towards somebody and hold on to it, and it becomes almost like a vengeful... We, we've, almost, we've almost got a crusade in our attitude towards that person. We, we become bitter towards it or that group of people. Do you understand what I mean? That exposes us to demonic activity. Uh, Paul says this in the writings of Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. So there can be an influence if we let the sun go down on our anger. Now, it's not, that doesn't mean if I go to bed angry, I'm going to wake up demonized. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. What, it means, what it's basically saying, if you hold on to it deliberately and it becomes a thing, and this is tempting, have you ever been tempted to do that? I know I have. You can, get, you can become a thing and just choose to. If you do that and you live with it and it becomes a vengeful, bitter, resentful attitude that is hateful and unloving towards somebody, well, that is exactly the type of personality that a, the demonic has. So when you get hurt, Paul says, don't, don't hold on to it. Forgive, get over it, get some help, move on. So, back to this. And the results of this thing, as we've read in this story and through the accounts of Jesus, 
it can cause a mental torment, a deception, sometimes sickness, sometimes addictive or compulsive behavior that we just can't get free from, emotional behavior in our emotions, behavior, and thoughts. But let me make think one thing clear. We can have all these things, and it's not demons at all. You understand? If there's a certain set of ongoing, deliberate, intentional circumstances as a lifestyle, we might be making ourselves vulnerable, but we can have all these things, and it's just human beings doing life in a hard world that aren't perfect. Am I communicating? So you don't have to worry, but we have to recognize that there is a reality, and Jesus recognized that. So, here's the thing. What happened to this man in this story? He was overtaken by, the Bible says, demons. He was a demonized person. And I have no shadow of a doubt that this man, probably from a very, very young age, which would be in keeping with these Gentile practices, which were idolatrous, occultic, highly superstitious. This would have been totally different world from the Jewish world that were forbidden to do all these things and just worship the one God. And they were, they were occultic, witchcraft, superstition, child sacrifices, horrible things going on, steeped in it. I'm, I, am, I have no shadow of a doubt that this man, to be demonized at that level, would have been involved in these things from a very, very early age. He may even have been dedicated to one of their gods and occultic practices as a child. It was very common for them to do that. And when Jesus asked, what's your name? He says, legion. And a legion, a Roman legion, can be, and that's why he was given the name, can be anything up to 9,000 soldiers. So you know, he had a lot of spirits. I'm not saying it's 9,000, but it had a lot. It was a figurative language. And we know that in another portion, when they cast the spirits out and went into the pigs, it says oh, there was over 2,000. So there was a lot of stuff going on in this gentleman's life. And he was in absolute torment. He was, in, he, he was, he was cutting himself, it says in another portion of the Scriptures. He was driven to torment. He was screaming out. He was naked. He had supernatural power. So they chained him. He was under God, under guard, day and night, and he broke the chains. I mean, this, this was supernatural power. This was one, he hadn't been working out like Rousseau. You know, he, he, he broke the chains. He snapped them. So there was a supernatural power at work here. And it was because at some point this man had given himself over or had been given over to the demonic. And now he was rendered totally and completely powerless to resist. He was totally lost. There was no hope for him but for Jesus. When he got into that, he said, let's go to the other side. He probably was in prayer. He saw something in the spirit. He said, there's a man over there who is living a life that is totally countercultural to my way of life, in total rebellion to God. He is, he is, in his lifestyle, he would be considered a total enemy of God, but I love him and all those people. 
I love him and I love them all. And he says to his disciples, boys, let's get in the boat. There's a job to do and there's a lesson to learn. And he got over and they went to the other side. The first person he met was this demonized man. And he went for him and he went for them and he went for people like them and people like us. And um, this totally lost man met Jesus. It says that Jesus was met by a demonized man. No, this man was met by Jesus. And Jesus says this, I've come to destroy the works of the evil one in our lives. And he can do it because he is God in form of human flesh and he has power over all things. I'm not going to talk about this, but just on the way to the journey, there was a there was a storm that was threatening to kill them, and he rebuked it and said, be still. And the language that he used was the same language that is in the Greek to rebuke a demon, and the man became calm. Same language. And he had power over the storm. He had power over the water and the wine. I'm still working on that one. He had power over the multiplication of the bread. He had power over a dead man, his friend. He says, Lazarus, come out. and would be dead four days, and he rose from the dead. And after that, all the Jews wanted to kill him. Why? Because they saw a human being threatening them. They could not see in the spirit who this man was. And Jesus, it says, he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And do you know the first thing that these demons said when they encountered Jesus in this demonized man? He says, you are the son of the most high God. What is he saying? There are other gods that we have been worshiping. There are other occult practices. There are other powers that can break chains. There are other things, deities, false deities, that we can lean to and draw on their power to try and bless us and make the rain fall and give us a good night or whatever it is. But you are the son of the most high God. You're above them all. And he was. And they could not resist his power. And people would chain him, but they could not resist his power. And he commanded those demons to leave. And they were freaking out, frightened, petrified. Oh, don't torment us. And what they didn't want him to do is cast them out, and they had nowhere to go. They said, don't send us to the abyss. Don't, say it's, don't send us to the abyss. Don't judge us before our time. Don't let us not have a body. Because demons like to something to, they want to be housed in something. They've lost their angelic bodies. They want to be housed in something. So they can express their personalities and do their evil works. So send us into the pigs, please. Send, anything, anything, send us into the pigs. We're desperate. And Jesus sent them into the pigs. And they all went, but the pigs couldn't cope. And they screamed and went over the cliff. Now, many people ask, why did Jesus give them permission to go into the pigs? Shall we wrap it up there? Would you like to know? <laughs> you wanna? Okay. I'll do this real quick. Um, let me get my notes. The pigs were considered unclean animals. The Jews weren't allowed to touch them or eat them. They were considered unclean. Send us into the pigs. These were unclean spirits. It talks about he was casting unclean spirits out. And they wanted to go into unclean animals. It's symbolic that they were gravitating to what was unclean and to the dark and to the sin. 
Now, here's the thing about God. If we want to sin, if we want to do destructive things, he gives us permission to. He doesn't want us to, but we're free will. We've got free will. He doesn't stop us. If I want to go and engage in something that God would call spiritually unclean and help from destructive to myself and alien to the purposes and the loving ways and good ways of God, he said, well, if that's what, if that's what you want, I'm not going to stop you because you're a free will being. And if I, if I take away your free will, I'm not allowing you to be a true human being. So, of course, he said, Do, if that's what you want, go ahead. But there are consequences to it. There's consequences to it. And every choice that we make, there's a consequence to, good or bad. Paul says in the Bible, you reap what you sow. So they're constantly saying, off you go, do where you, go where you want to go, do what you want to do. And they wanted to go into the pigs, and they wanted to go over there. And the result is, they all went headlong into the sea and drowned. And the pigs and the demons had nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. And that was a torment to them, not to inhabit something, to express their body. So, so this is why Jesus, he, he, he was true to the nature of being God, that he will not stop moral, he will not take away free will. So they ran, ran off the cough, cliff. Um, he lets us do our own thing, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death. They went off, all the pigs got killed. Sin brings a destructive, a destructive nature into our lives. Wages of sin is death. But there's another bit to that verse. It says the gift of God is eternal life. And there's this choice. We can, we can go one way or we can go God's way. And when we receive Christ, we get the gift of eternal life, which brings life to us. I've come that you may have life. When he says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he says, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has come to give you life. In all its fullness. So we have life. Freedom. Life. It's brilliant. So there's a choice. Choose life. Choose Jesus. They say, who, who are you, Jesus? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, will live again. I'm the resurrection and the life. My dad is alive now. He's more alive than he's ever been. He's alive. He didn't die. He slept. He's alive. Choose life. And that's why Jesus came. He came to give this man freedom. He came to give this, life, this man life. You shall know the truth, he says, and the truth shall set you free. So Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Because Jesus has come from the other side. He left the shores of heaven to come to the shores of earth for you. He left the shores of Galilee to go to the shores of the Jadrines for people like you and me. He died on the cross and bore all our sin and suffering and everything occultic and everything shameful and everything we regret and everything painful and everything hurtful and everything we've ever done wrong on the cross. And he bore it and his body he was punished with it in his place. He took the death that we deserved, so he died. But because he never sinned, he rose again. And now through faith in him, we have the same freedom that this man in chains and tormented being 
had, and that's what we have. And that's what we continue to grow in because of Jesus. He was liberated, forgiven, put in his right man, and sat at the feet of Jesus. So when all the crowd saw him now, came back after the story, it says he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's a phrase for being a disciple of Jesus. Oh, he wasn't just set free, but he now was in the gang. He was a, he was a disciple being trained and taught to do the same for others what Jesus had done for him. And finally, he said, and the, demons, the demons begged Jesus not to torment, but this man now begged him, can I go with you? The man from whom the demons had gone begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He says, go home. But he didn't just go home to tell his immediate family. He went everywhere to everyone that he could have contact with. He got it. He got the lesson. The lesson that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, the reason why they went to say, we're going to go to the other side, to the other people. He got it. He didn't just go to his family that he was estranged from, but now united with, but he went to beyond. He got it because he was a disciple, a follower, a servant of Jesus. So why did Jesus go to the other side? He was teaching his disciples who he was, what authority he had, and what he was called to do. He was training them and us to do the same. The boat is a place of discipleship. It's a place of learning to be like the master. It's a place of mission, going somewhere. Sometimes it's to the next door neighbor. Sometimes it's to the person in your office. Sometimes it's somebody down the gym, or sometimes it's the other side of the road, or sometimes it's the other side of the world. It's a place of mission. Discipleship is learning to be like Jesus in his mission. What did they learn? That Jesus is the son of the most high God. That he has authority over all things. His mission is to all people everywhere. To set people free and turn them from being slaves of evil and sin to sons of God and servants of the king. And we have the same call and same privilege. We have a mission from Jesus to go to all, to reveal to all who Jesus is, that he has authority to heal and deliver, and to make disciples that go and tell all that Jesus has done for them, to everyone, everywhere. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus That Jesus, you came. And I thank you that you came to set us free. And you have all authority, all power over everything. And you don't force it upon us. I, want, I think you're amazing, Jesus, that you don't twist our arm, but you say, I'm here, you can come. And when we come, you save, you rescue, you forgive, you heal. And you don't just do that. You give us a purpose and a mission that is so fulfilling and so rewarding in life.
that our life matters and we can do it with you. So I pray your blessing upon everyone who's heard and listened and learned from your spirit and your word today, both here and online. And we pray that you will cause us, Lord, to get in the boat. In Jesus' name, amen.